watch. It is 9 o'clock. Time for adult Sunday school class. Holwell Missionary Baptist Church in Norcross, Georgia. If you have tuned in inadvertently, don't change the channel. Uh, God is here and he has a word for us this morning. If you are new to Hopewell, thank you so much for joining into our class. If you are a regular participant, it's always good to have you on the line. We need you. You are the most important person in our Sunday school class. Reach over to your neighbor and tell them that. Online, you are, we can't have Sunday school without you. We thank God for you. We know that some of you have had tremendous weeks. Some of you have had challenges this week. And some of you have challenges coming next week. But we know this. God is able to meet us at the very point of our need. And we, we gather to study our lesson each Sunday so that we have the tools uh, so we can deal with the world. Because the world is so daily. And so we have to deal with that. Let's pray uh, and ask God to <clears throat> uh, study with us as we study. We're going to be this morning uh, continuing our study in the book of John, the gospel according to John. Uh, we will be in that book for the entire month of July, uh, the next month in Revelation. But John is a tremendous presentation. Just keep this in mind before we pray. John is always trying to go in his teaching and his presentation of Jesus. He's trying to go from Jesus to Christ. He wants to get you from Jesus the man <clears throat> to Jesus the Christ. His point is he's the Messiah. So everything John does points to the cross, points to the Messiah, points to Jesus as the Savior of the world. Keep that in the back of your mind as you read the gospel according to John. That's not to say the other, the synoptic gospels that aren't doing the same thing, but John has a particular focus and emphasis because John is in love with the deity of Jesus, that he's not only the son of God, but that he is God's son. But he wants you to know that Jesus is God. So that's his emphasis, and so that we'll deal with that today. Today, the book of John will be in chapter number four, uh, beginning at verse 46. If you don't have a Sunday school book, John 4, 46 through 54, we're going to deal with a particular miracle on the back end, but we're going to deal with the precursor to that miracle on the front end, so you will understand why this miracle is so tremendous. Let's pray. <clears throat> get your thinking caps on and let's get ready to study the word. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we humbly submit ourselves to you. We come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in the time of need. And this is a needy time. God, we know that there are things that are going on that we don't fully understand and we cannot control. Uh, we know that the news cycle is 24-7, <clears throat> and if we aren't careful, we'll get caught up and subsumed by everything that's being get fed to us. God, help us to have discernment. Help us to have that kind of discernment that allows us to turn off Twitter, to turn off CNN, to turn off MSNBC, to turn off ABC, to turn off anything that is so distracting that it distracts us from you. Let us get back level set, knowing that whatever's going on in the world, and we, we want to be aware of the world so we know what to pray for and pray about. But God, let us keep in mind that you are ultimately in control. No politician, no king, no queen, no potentate. You are in control. So we come before you this morning, God, confessing that we've sometimes been distracted and asking you to bring us back to center, that we might rely totally on you. We look to you, 
the author and finisher of our faith. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for being on the throne. Thank you that you've, ne you've never abdicated the throne. Thank you that you've always been God. You always will be God. Not only universally, but in our individual lives, you stop by every day and visit us. Now, God, there are those of us on the line today, present today in person, God, who might hear this broadcast later, God, who need you because we're having physical difficulties in our bodies. We ask you to heal like only you can. We know you are the healer that heals. We know, God, that you can do it. No matter what the condition, no matter what the circumstance, you're an able God. So we, do, we, we pray this morning that you might heal us physically. Then, God, there are some on the phone and, and some in person and some who will hear this later who may be having struggles financially. Oh, God, don't let us get caught up in get-rich-quick schemes. Don't let us get caught up in trying to flip the script. God, let us rely on you, God, again, the author and finisher of our faith. You said you, in the word that never seen the righteous forsaken, nor seed big for bread. Thank you, God. No matter what the price is on any particular commodity, we know you're able, God, to meet us at the very point of our need. Now, God, we pray that there are those of us who are dealing with some spiritual issues, God, whether it be depression or, 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 or loneliness. But, God, we know that you are the great consolator. Come in now, God, and wrap those big arms around us and let us know we are loved by you. That you came to die for each of us, even as you came to die for all of us. Thank you, God, for being my personal Savior and the personal Savior of those who committed their lives to you. Now, God, we pray especially this morning for the lost of this world. Oh, God, those who don't know you in the free part of their sins. God, those who've never been introduced to you and those who have, God, decided for whatever reason to reject you. We pray now, God, that we might be tremendous evangelists to go into all the world, teach the gospel, make disciples of all men, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and making disciples of them, God, that this dying world might know that there's an antidote to dying. It's called life, and Jesus Christ is that life. Help us, God, not to get caught up in philosophies of denominations, but to rely totally in, in, on you as Christ and you crucified, and to teach the world what John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, God, we thank you for this place called Hopewell for our Bishop Shields and for the Hopewell family, both here and interconnected, God, everywhere. Bless and keep us, God. Give Bishop tremendous anointing that he might teach us this morning as he preaches and teaches the word. Bless us now. Watch over us now. Keep us now. We expect great things this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, <clears throat> let's go uh, back just to just a quick minute, we go back to go forward and uh, deal with uh, Dr. John um, because, as we said earlier, as we dealt with last week in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was made by him. We know from our study last week that the Word became incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. The word being that catalyst, that thing, that uh, enabling agent that caused the world to be in existence. Now, don't get confused when the Bible talks about world as if it's talking about the earth. It's also talking about every universe. And by the way, those of you who follow 
uh, science like I do sometimes, every day they find something new uh, in the universe that they didn't know about yesterday, although they've been smart a long time. They've been smart a long time. They've been looking up. They've got books uh, in school that every day the books get outdated because they find something else new. These are smart people. But they keep finding out that the universe is so vast, the expanse is so large that they can't really keep up with it. They keep learning stuff God's always known. So we're, we're always in a race when it comes to you know, information behind God because we're finding stuff out he knows. You can't shock him. And say, hey, you know about the cerebellus arbalus? And he was like, yeah, I made that. Yeah, I'm fully aware. Um, and so, uh, <clears throat> so, so the the world, as described in Genesis one, or the uh, is talking about the Earth, this third planet from the sun, this 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 thing that gives us life and gives us sustenance. Uh, Jesus was the catalyst for that. <clears throat> the Word was made flesh, and then John makes a tremendous declaration. He said, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as only of the of, of Son of God, full of grace and truth. Uh, please understand that the idea of grace originates with God. Uh, everything God does has with it, has mixed with it a little grace. All right? Uh, no matter what he does, there's a grace component. So John wanted us to understand that he... And his brethren uh, were able to observe Jesus up close. And then John says, I want to step back for a minute and I'm going to write to you and I'm going to describe to you not just Jesus, but those who interacted with him. And John says, I want you to pay close attention because in every circumstance where Jesus meets somebody or goes near somebody or goes into a town or goes out of a town, in every circumstance, you can see the God in Jesus. John says, I want you to step back. John said, don't, don't read this and call words. I, I want you to see Jesus in the text. And I want you to see, John says, I, I'm, I'm walking with him. I'm talking with him. We're fellowshipping with him. But John says, I'm blown away by what he's doing as he interacts with people. Okay? And as people interact with him. One of the things you'll see about John is that, uh, like Mark, John is a little surprised that people don't get it sooner. He's a little bit thrown off by the fact that y'all don't know he was the Messiah? Uh, because to him, it's so patently obvious uh, that he is who he says he is. Uh, in, our, in our lesson text today, um, um, Jesus, we know, came to earth to provide new life. The bridge between man and God had been, has been, had been torn asunder by the sin of Adam and the sin of Eve and everybody who followed after them. But God, grace again, in, in Genesis 3.15, tells Adam and Eve, I'm going to provide a savior. There's only one way back and it's got to come through him. Jesus then shows up in his earthly ministry to share on a one-on-one -on -one basis that God is the God of grace and to share that he is the representation, the full representation of God on earth. It is not an easy concept. Uh, it's easy to you because you've been in church all your life. But please understand that people who you are dealing with who have not don't find this to be an easy concept, that Jesus is God in the flesh. 
So as you try to reach out to them and teach them, use the book because this is eyewitness accounts. Now, here's the thing you got to tell them. All of these details laid out in the book, if they were in error, somebody would have spoken up and said, wait a minute, that's not true. I was at that event. That didn't happen. What are you talking about? I was there. Because people don't mind contradicting you when you're wrong. Nobody's ever done that. There's no writing that anybody can find that contradicts the book. There are people who say, well, the book is embellished, the, the details are embellished, but that doesn't make them any less true. But nobody can find a single witness who was at an event that'll say it didn't happen, except the men who were at the tomb who went to the priest and they came up with a conspiracy. And the priest said, if anybody asks you, lie and say they came and stole his body. If you don't say that, we're going to kill you. And they said, oh, you know what? We're going to go with your story. Because we don't want to get killed. Otherwise, you've got this tremendous body of work, <clears throat> this tremendous, uh, these tremendous eyewitness accounts that nobody contradicts. So, uh, Jesus comes to earth, uh, and by now, when we get to this part of John's gospel, um, uh, people are coming from everywhere because they're hearing about him. Now, remember, there's no Twitter. There's no um, news report. There's no telegram, no telegraph, no telewoman. There's no way for people to get stuff out. Okay, so you have to rely on word of mouth and then people are people are naturally skeptical. Anything you tell people about them that involves the supernatural or that involves God, they're naturally skeptical. You give them one thing and you say, God has been so good to me. They say, well, maybe you're just smart. My man, why are you just handling your money well? Because they're naturally skeptical. So John says, well, I'm going to lay it out for you. You make your own decision. So here's what happens. So John, before we get to chapter 4, it's very important. John begins by talking about Jesus' quote, first miracle, which people say first miracle, really in the first miracle, the first public miracle that Jesus did for the purpose of illustrating that he's the Messiah. All right? So let's go back to chapter 2 for a minute because it's very important uh, that, that you'll see what happens. And, and then we're going to jump to 4, but this is very important. Now remember, if you will, if you're making, taking notes, that Jesus' sort of base of operation is Capernaum in Galilee. That's sort of where he does his, most of his work is in Capernaum of Galilee. And so he, verse, chapter 2, verse 1, if you have your Bible, says, and the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. So they had a wedding, and they invited everybody to come to the wedding. And in the, in the Near East, weddings were a big deal, and they lasted seven days. Y'all thought y'all part when y'all all laid out for two days uh, back down in the country when you had the wedding. Uh, they had seven. I don't, I don't know how they did it. And so the host is responsible for the full seven days. I know some of you dads are like, I couldn't have done that. For seven days, responsible for the food and the drink. For all the guests who came, all the in-laws and all the outlaws, you got to feed and, and, and give them something to drink. Now, there, there's no Kool-Aid in the Bible. There's no Sprite. There's no ginger ale. We drinking water or we drinking wine. Okay? There, 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 there's, there's no Dasani. 
There's no Callaway Blue. You're drinking water or you're drinking wine. All right? Not to get drunk, Noah, but it's what they drank. Unfermented grape juice. They're not trying to, but, but because they are of a particular uh, uh, region, the quality of the wine is easy to discern if you're used to drinking wine from Palestine. It has a particular taste. And there are people who are good at the, at the way they harvest and present the beverage. So watch what happens. Third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And they, and when they, now that they right there, those of you who are English majors like I was, know that the they there is referring to Jesus and his disciples. All right? Okay, they got to the wedding late. Reminds y'all anybody? They got to the wedding late, three days late, and they want wine. Right? You know how we are. come in, hey, where the, you know, where the, what's so. up? And Jesus' mother said, hey, boys, listen, <clears throat> they don't have any more wine. <clears throat> These big belly people have drank all the wine. Jesus said unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother said unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there was set there six water pots of stone after the manner of purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Uh, it's about 30 gallons each. Um, uh, and he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. I'm sorry, back up. Um, and Jesus said, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast tasted the water that was made wine. Now, there's no indication here when this scientific miracle happened. Because you cannot make wine out of water. Because if it was, all of my uncles never would have gotten out of 10th grade. <laughs> and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew the governor of feast called the bridegroom and said unto him, every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. You've kept the best for last. Now look at verse 11. This beginning of miracles, plural, did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. Now watch what happens. And the disciples believed on him. Now please watch this. I told you that when, you, when John presents Jesus, every detail is about Jesus as Messiah and Jesus as God. So Jesus gets to, the, gets to the wedding when? The third day. What does that remind you of? On the third day, he was raised from the dead. Everybody is sad because there is no wine, no joy. But on the third day, Jesus shows up. So John is telling you, watch now. Everything physical has an equal uh, uh, a component in the spiritual. He arrives on the third day which we know is the same day he gets up. Now watch this. He, th then Jesus says, uh, uh, the mother says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. They had six water pots of stone. Now, uh, water pots are normally made out of clay in, in, the, in, in, the, in the Near East. These stone pots mean that the people who, are, who have this feast are well-to-do. They're not using clay, they're using stone. All right. They didn't go to uh, rent a center. They went to Havity's, got their stuff. All right. Now, what, look, look at what it says. Why are these stone pots there? 
Don't, don't, don't run over this. After the manner of the purifying of the Jews. The purpose of the water pots was not for water. The Jews believed that baptism was not a single event. They believed you had to sort of almost do your own baptizing of yourself after you were engaged in any sin. Whether that was defiling by touching a dead body, whether you violated some ceremonial law, you had to then go and purify yourself or you weren't supposed to mingle with everybody else. So those water pots are there and there's so much water, 20, 30 gallons each time six, because they were sinning while at the wedding or they sinned coming to the wedding or leaving the wedding and everybody was going by to purify themselves. So Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. So the stuff you were doing to purify yourself, bring that to me because you don't have to do that anymore because I'm here. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. You don't need to do all that anymore. I want to fulfill that ritual for you in Christ. So bring me that water. So you got to understand, if you get a picture of this party, when they start moving the purification stuff, the folks are saying, where are they going with that? I'm going to need that in about 10 minutes. I'm about to do something. Or try to do something. And where's the baptism water? You're not going to need it anymore. Then watch what happens. Then he says, you can't have empty vessels Go ahead and finish filling them up. I want as much as you can bring me. Bring me all the sin you can. I'm going to clean it all up in one fell swoop. Don't bring some of your sin to me. Bring it all and put it before me. And the mother of Jesus says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. All right? Now watch this. And they fill them to the brim. Then he says, now that, now that your sin is full, I want you to I want you to, um, to draw, out, draw it out and give it to the governor. Now, the governor represents here God. You present to God what was sin, and once Jesus has touched it, what was sin becomes wine or joy presented to God, and your sin is now covered. So nobody thinks about the purification process. Why? Because now the sin is covered. The wine is here. The joy is back because of Jesus. He never touches the water. This is not hocus pocus. He doesn't go spin around three times and blow a snot bubble like some people do when they do a miracle. Y'all seen it, right? Jesus isn't involved in any of that. He's just speaking. Why? John says the word was made flesh. Now, when in creation did God make the vine, the fruit? Day three. Go back to Genesis. On day three, God makes the very thing that Jesus turns water to wine. Why? Because he made it. On, Jesus made it on day three. He controlled, if he made it on day three, he can make it on the day three of the wedding. So he says, bring it in. I've already done this once. I'll do it again. And he, and he changes the molecular structure of water to the molecular consistency of wine. Because he can do that. Guess why? Because he's God. That's what John is saying. This is not a magic trick. Right? How do we know it's not just turning water to the color of wine? That's, I can do that. It's a magic trick. You use a little vinegar. Why? How do we know that? Because the governor then tastes it and says, hey, when you have a party, you're supposed to put the best wine out when people get here. Over time, it dissipates. 
You save the best for last. Who's the best? Jesus. We say God saves the best for last. Every other man he sent was not the best. We love Abraham, not the best. We love Moses, not the best. We love Job, not the best. We love Jonah, not the best. Elijah, Malachi, Ezekiel, Obadiah, Zechariah, not the best. He saved the best for last. That's Jesus. Then Ben John tells on himself and his compatriots. As much as he's been presenting Jesus as Messiah, John says, this, verse 11, chapter 2, beginning of miracles, did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, now he gives you the longitude and latitude, so if you don't believe him, go down to Cana and ask the folks who were at the wedding, a small village. Everybody was there. If it didn't happen, somebody would say, man, it didn't. Well, I was at that wedding. Now, I was drunk, but I remember, that didn't happen. I would have known that. You know why? Because it did happen. And John says, but something else happened. John says, he did this in Cain of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Do you know there are people who follow Jesus who don't believe on Jesus? Keep looking straight ahead. If you can't say, can't, can't say amen, look amen. You can follow Jesus but not believe on Jesus. Why? Because here's where the confusion comes in. At the beginning of this story, when they got there, there was no wine for them. Here's what confuses people. You can be with Jesus and still be in lack. But if you stay with Jesus, you won't stay in lack. When they got there, they, they wanted wine. Well, there wasn't any. But, when they, but they stayed around. When you hang, hang around with Jesus long enough, whatever your need is, consistent with the word of God, he will fulfill. But the miracle... Not the preaching is what changed the disciples' mind. The miracle, not the teaching. Y'all know anybody like that? If you, have, if you find somebody who's really involved in, 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 in tremendous sin, if God works a miracle, all of a sudden they'll believe. What God's looking for us to do, though, is believe without the miracles. There are miracles, but your belief can't be based on that. Here's what we do. Sometimes we miss the supernatural looking for the spectacular. You are a sitting miracle this morning. If you were a computer, do you know what it takes for your whole computer to work like it works every day? That's a miracle in itself. It is a miracle that you didn't get up and put your shirt on over your legs and put your pants on over your arms. Your brain, you, you think it's normal. But people will tell you they go to sleep and wake up without any memory. All right. So, it's, so, so, so John is trying to say, don't let the miracles draw you to Jesus. He can do miracles, but he's really the Messiah. Miracles or not. And John says, I'm going to confess because of the miracles, all of us believed. Because they were out there by themselves. All right. Now, the next thing is, and, and I'm going to get to the list. He then he goes up to, to the Passover deals with that, has to run the money changes out of the temple. I know everybody recently has discovered that the prosperity gospel was, was wrong teaching, and Jesus told you that in the first part of John. He told you that at the temple when he ran the money changes out of the temple. You can't use God's house as a place to get rich. If you do, Jesus said, I'm going to come through there with a whip, and all y'all got to go. And take your hat sales and your fish sandwich sales and all that, 
This is not what this is about. So he, he deal with that. Now, he then, before we get to chapter four, deals with the woman at the well. She drops her water pot. Part of the water pot would have been for what? Perfication. And she's coming to fill up her pot while living in sin. See, so the man you wouldn't know is not your husband. Why you fill up this purification pot? Because we think we can cover sin by going through a ritual. What can wash away my sin? <laughs> Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So she drops her pot. Remember the story. When she and Jesus have a conversation, she drops the ceremonial pot, which is both for water and for purification. She drops it, goes back, becomes an evangelist, and the people believe, and then Jesus comes to town and gives, does, a, does a miracle, and they say, now we believe, not based on what the woman said, but we saw a miracle. There's a theme coming up here. So, now let's get into the lesson. Verse 46, I had to give you that because we're, now we're back in Canaan. So by now, there's a tremendous uh, groundswell of support for the Lord Christ. So, verse 46. Watch this now because the Bible is interconnected. I told you you have to read it all in context. Verse 46 says, um, So Jesus came again until Cain of Galilee. So by, by the time he gets back, there's a big crowd. Why? Because before, he was there and did the wine miracle. Now go up. Two, one verse to 45. Then when he was, when, when was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him. Watch out, why? Having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. So Jesus had performed a number of miracles unrecorded, and because of the miracles, they believed on him. Now, verse 46 says, So Jesus comes back to Cana, where he made the water wine. And I like how John says that like it ain't nothing. John, let me hold on, hold on a second, bro. That's a big deal. John said, he may turn water wine. John said, it's not shocking to me. He's the Christ. You see how John is real subtle. John, you, you need to pop. He did what? Turn what into what? See, back when he turned water to wine. I mean, John said, it's not shocking me. So, John, here's what happens. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. So the nobleman shows up. Capernaum, which is sort of Jesus' headquarters, is about 20 miles away. All right? So follow John now. John wants you to understand. He comes back to Cana, where he turned water to wine, which means by now, we know this from other scriptural references, there's a big crowd. They don't want to see Jesus. They do not want to see Jesus. They want to see miracles. They want to be entertained. They want to be mesmerized. They want it to be a show. Lights, camera, action. That's what they want. They're not coming for salvation. They're coming for miracles. Jesus says on the 5,000 miracle, he said, y'all don't believe me. Y'all are here for the fish and the bread. Jesus said, you, when you show up on Sunday, with a, only with a miracle in your mind, you're not coming for me. He said, I'm not chastising you. I'm just telling you. Don't, don't, you're not fooling me. Say, watch. So, there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Jesus had done no sick miracles. Far as we know, recording-wise, we haven't seen it. Now, some of the other Gospels, there may have been one or two. All right? Now, now watch this. His son was sick in Capernaum. Now, here's the thing. There are doctors at the time. 
people who are trained in the art of healing. They go to school for that. They existed. We know that throughout the scripture. It talks about doctors uh, because one woman, the one with the issue of blood, went to doctors. They couldn't make her better. She got worse. So they're doctors. So it's not like Jesus is the only game in town. The nobleman who can afford health care because he got Obamacare and Medicare and Medicaid and private insurance. Who the doctor has? I mean, the nobleman has. He can afford to get sick. Y'all know in this country, some people can't afford to get sick. So he can afford to pay a doctor. What seems to me to have happened is he probably has. And the doctor says to him, your son is going to die. Jairus tells Jesus, remember in the other version, my daughter's at home at the point of death. They probably had exhausted all other resources. Because that's what we do. We go to Jesus last. I'm not criticizing the nobleman. I'm just telling you I do that and you do too. All right? Having done everything else in the natural, well, I guess I better pray. He's trying to get us to pray first. All right? Now, when he heard that Jesus was come uh, into Galilee, out of Judah into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and he would he come, come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Somebody had told him he's going to die, it's just a matter of time. Now notice what the nobleman does. The nobleman genuflex. The nobleman gets out of his title. If he's a nobleman, he works for Herod. To be a nobleman, you have to work for a king or a queen. Herod wants Jesus dead. Ben wanted him dead. His brother wanted him dead. John the Baptist gets beheaded by Herod. This, this man said, I don't care though about my position. I don't care about my title. I don't care about my money. I don't care about how big my house is. I need to go see Jesus because he's got the only answer. What I need right now is healing. I can't buy it. I can't talk my way into healing. I can't order anybody to heal my son. I got to go to Jesus. No matter who you are, no matter what your resource is, no matter what your bank account says, when you need Jesus, you need Jesus. And you need Jesus, whether your bank account is a billion or zero, everybody needs the Lord. The nobleman said, come down, and he didn't send anybody. He didn't send a servant. He went. He didn't, he didn't call the pastor and say, pray for me. He went. Remember what, how, the, how Mary and Martha messed up? They sent somebody. Go tell Jesus Lazarus is sick. How come you don't go? Because we close. The Lord knows me. Go tell him I, go tell him I said, come here. No, Mary and Martha, you're not, running in, you're not running nothing but your mouth. Right? The nobleman says, I understand all of that. I'm going to see the man myself. Now, this will blow your mind. Then said Jesus unto him, except ye, and that ye is plural, see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. Jesus doesn't say, what's he sick of? How long has he been sick? What else have you done? He just says, y'all, you know what? And everybody, you can tell, you can, you can imagine when the nobleman walks in, because we're like that, because we're in, we love celebrities. Tell me I'm telling the truth. If, if Beyonce and Jay-Z walk into church this morning, Bishop won't be able to preach. And all y'all who used to sit on the left side would be itching over, volunteering to be an usher. 
Because we love celebrities. You know when that man walked in, Pastor Love, everybody was like, oh my God, the nobleman is here. All looking at him. And Jesus looks, like, looks around and says, y'all want a miracle, don't you? Y'all weren't coming to see me. Don't play with me. He's got grace. I'm not going to punish you. I just want you to know I understand what you're doing. You're not fooling anybody but yourself. He says, this celebrity has shown up, and now you want to see what's Jesus going to say because, oh, my God, LeBron James is at the church. Wow. If you ever look on websites, sometimes uh, uh, ministries will promote their celebrity members. Not Jesus. Now watch, watch. This, 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 this messed me up. He says, you won't believe. Won't believe what, Jesus? That the boy is sick? Well, what, what is Jesus talking about? He said, read between the lines. You know what I'm talking about. Except I do a miracle, y'all won't believe. The nobleman said, and I like this. This is second request. I hear you, Jesus, but he's like uh, blind by the mess. He said, hey, I hear you, Jesus, but let me just say this to you. Sir, <laughs> come down, because if you don't, my, my boy's going to die. I'm not here to debate. I'm desperate, like the one with the issue of blood. If you don't come to my house, he said, I'm not concerned with these other knuckleheads. I'm telling you what I believe, Jesus. I believe if you don't uh, come down, my son's going to die. Now, he thinks Jesus can only heal if he comes to the house. Right? He's looking like all of them, like a lot of them are looking for a miracle. The we believe miracle. Do you all know that there are so many people who are, who are spectacular uh, focused? Uh, there, there, there was a man, his name was Charles Blunden. Years ago in the 19th century, he, said he had sort of like a, 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 a circus show. And he decided that he was going to walk across the 1,100 feet expanse between Canada and the United States at Niagara Falls. He was going to do it on a tightrope. So they sold tickets. 100,000 people showed up. He's going to walk a tightrope across Niagara Falls. 160 feet. You know what happens if you, fall. If you can swim, you're going to die. He gets up to the tightrope and he says to the crowd, 100,000 people, do you believe I can do it? The crowd said, we believe. They bought tickets. Y'all believe I can do it? We believe. He walks across the tightrope to the other side. Crowd goes crazy. He then turns and grabs a wheelbarrow. He says, do you believe I can go across with this wheelbarrow, pushing this wheelbarrow? He said, we believe. Do you believe? He said, we believe. He then pushes a wheelbarrow across 1,100 feet, 160 feet up a wheelbarrow. Then he says, do you believe I can go across the Niagara Falls? Pushing a wheelbarrow with a man in it. And they said, we believe. We believe. He said, who will volunteer to get in the wheelbarrow? Then they said, boy, you done lost your mind. We believe because we want to see the spectacular. Now watch this. This is a principle. Remember, John's always showing us Christ. Ask, seek, knock. Jesus says on one occasion, you have not because you ask not. Then he says, you receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss. Now watch this. 
Jesus wants you to trust him. Now watch what happens next. The man makes another appeal. Y'all, may I say this to you? May I make a recommendation to you? Don't give up when you pray. When the answer doesn't come right away. Paul teaches us to pray without ceasing. Because you're not on Jesus' schedule. I'm sorry, he's not on your schedule. He, he's got to know that there's an act of faith. Keep on praying. Keep on believing. Watch what happens. Jesus said unto him. Now he takes his mind off the crowd and focuses on the nobleman. He said, go your way. Your son liveth. That wasn't a request, was it? The request was not for Jesus to pronounce him. The request was what? I need to come to the house and touch him. He's going to get up. Jesus said, no, I need to do that. Go your way. Your son lived. Now watch this. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him and went his way. Good God almighty. No assurance. Nobody, let me, hold on, let me text back to the house and say, hey, Jesus said, man. He had no way to do that. You got to walk 20 miles. No Uber. No Uber. One of my, one of my friends uh, showed up to pick up his granddaughter uh, from kindergarten, and she said, hey, y'all, I got to leave. My Goober driver is here. <laughs> no Goober driver. He's got to go back. What's with the Bible? Please underline this in your Bible. Underline this. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken. That's not a demonstrative miracle. Dorcas, who got up, just went in the room and picked her up. In Jairus' case, he goes to... This man believes based on hearing the word only. Woo! Help my unbelief. God, I wish I could get to this place in my life. Will you believe the word? Because Jesus said, he meets your need. Now watch. Now watch. As he's... And this is why I love the word. Uh, there's no preacher involved here, just the word. No prayer partner. No Sunday school teacher. Just the word. And the man said, I'm good. I'm a nobleman. Got plenty of money. Plenty of prestige. I got cash cars and cribs. I can't heal my son. Jesus said, my son healed. Good enough for me. I'm out. See y'all later. I'm going home. My son's okay. Now watch this. Uh, and when he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Watch this. The man inquired of them the hour when he began to heal a man. In other words, when he started to get better. Because the man thought this was progressive healing. That he's not going to die today and he'll get better over time. He thought, that's why he said, he began to a man. And they said unto him, no, no. Not began to get better. Yesterday, at about one o'clock, the fever left him. He's healed. So, so the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. Then the man lost his mind. Now watch this, because this is a very subtle, you'll miss it if you read it too fast. Why did it take this long for them to let him know? If they came to see him, he could have gotten home before they got to him. What I think happened is I think he was so sure that he stopped over somewhere and went to sleep. If Jesus said it, I'm done with it. I'm not worried about it. That's why they don't get him until 
He asked them about the hour the day before. They said, happened about one o'clock. He went and got a hotel. He was assured that Jesus had done what he said. Oh, God, I wish I had another. I don't. So the father knew. Now watch this. This again, the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Galilee. Now watch this. Uh, I want you to understand today, you can rest on the word. You may rest on the word and in the word. Tell you one more thing. Uh, that boy I tell you about Charles Blandon, going across the Niagara Falls with a wheelbarrow, guess what? The next thing he did was he went across the tightrope over, uh, over the Niagara Falls carrying a man on his back. It was his manager. Then he came across the Niagara Falls, 1,100 feet, 160 feet up, with a person in the wheelbarrow, it was his nephew. You know why he was able to do that? You know why they took a risk? Because they had a relationship with him. They trusted him that if he said he could do it, he could do it. Guess what, y'all? If you got a, oh my God, if you have a relationship with Jesus, things that seem impossible to others, put me in the wheelbarrow because Jesus is pushing. See y'all next week. Well, I won't go. Amen. 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 Thank you, Elder. You're welcome. Another wonderful.